Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for July 20th, 2021. I'm Glenn Fleischman, in for Jackson Bird, who is on vacation. Was the Chinese seed scare of mid-2020 just a matter of delayed orders and pandemic-induced memory loss? The evergreen clogging the Suez Canal is probably a sign of things to come, not a one-off accident. And Wally Funk returns from space. Oh, also Jeff Bezos was there and he gave a bunch of money to the Smithsonian. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Every year, and sometimes more frequently, there is an inexplicable story that seizes the attention of the country, but it's not a serious story. It's often comical, supernatural, or not-quite-conspiracy-worthy conspiracy. In 2016, it was people dressed as clowns in weird places, seemingly menacing, but not actually doing anything but standing there in most cases. From Wikipedia's 2016 Clown Sightings article, quote, The 2016 clown sightings were reports of people disguised as evil clowns in incongruous settings, such as near forests and schools. The incidents were reported in the United States, Canada, and subsequently in other countries and territories from August 2016. By mid-October 2016, clown sightings and attacks had been reported in nearly all U.S. states, 9 out of 13 provinces and territories of Canada, and 18 other countries, end quote. In 2019, it was all cats, that is, the movie cats and their strange quasi-nudity and human features and scale problems and erased buttholes and a lot of other things. The last normal viral thing before the pandemic in mid-2020, suddenly it was random seed packets sent from China, with many Americans believing, and many still believing, that China had accidentally started the coronavirus pandemic, or worse, it became a modern red scare. Seed packets were delivered to people in the UK where the first report emerged and across North America from Chinese addresses. The packages were typically mislabeled, like rose stud earrings, and the people who received them expressed total mystification. Because of the isolation and fear that already existed in a locked-down United States, people began to freak out, including government officials. It was branded an attempt by the Chinese government to spread a non-native species or actively harmful plants, or something worse that could only be imagined. The Texas Agriculture Commissioner said, implausibly enough, my greatest fear is that someone will open these packages up, open these seeds up, and be infected with a new virus of some kind, end quote. Ultimately, thousands of these shipments were reported. One woman received 519 packets in all. The reason, or the ostensible reason, quickly emerged for these unsolicited seed shipments, it was brushing, a term that was new to many who used the internet, including yours truly. Brushing is a scam against platforms instead of against consumers. Many platforms like Amazon Marketplace and Alibaba seem to rank results in part based on sales volume and positive reviews. With brushing, companies, often in China, sent unsolicited goods of de minimis value, 
to legitimate addresses with shipment tracking. Even though the goods were unwanted and typically useless to the recipient, the seller can verify delivery to the platform via the third-party shipper's tracking information. Then the seller can leave a positive review attached to the order that wasn't really placed but was delivered. Whether this works to improve rankings or not, nobody knows for sure. Also, Chinese sellers and those in some developing nations benefit from exceedingly low shipment rates for small packages. Due to a long-running arrangement between developed and developing nations, part of the Universal Postal Union Treaty, packages under 4.4 pounds, or 2 kilograms, get extremely favorable rates to encourage commerce from these developing nations. The rates are subsidized by the receiving postal service. It's often cheaper to ship a package from China to the U.S. than from within the U.S. This is how you can buy a $5 cable from China and receive it in a few days with, quote, free, unquote, shipping. Chinese growth paired with Amazon Marketplace, Alibaba, eBay, and other e-commerce platforms means the U.S. Postal Service's subsidy of incoming Chinese small package postage rose from some millions of dollars a year decades ago to about $300 million to $500 million a year. The Trump administration in 2018 threatened to exit the treaty but negotiated the next year a significant modification to the fee-setting process. Rates rose in 2020 by 27% for Chinese packages to the U.S. and other major destinations, and it will rise by about 164% by 2025. The Fuhrer led to China promising a crackdown on brushing in that country, Amazon banning importing plants and plant materials, and the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol increasing efforts to find and intercept packages. Chris Heath at The Atlantic wrote a follow-up on this weird viral story a few days ago. He writes, quote, By late last year, the seed packets slowed to a trickle. Problem solved, it seemed, and mystery solved, too. Brushing was an explanation that, for all its odd contours, made sense, and, just as important, nothing else did, end quote. Osama Elisi, the deputy administrator of the Plant Protection and Quarantine Program in the USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, and who was the person who directed the USDA's response to this seeming crisis, told Heath, quote, We are not able to think of other reasons behind this event aside from the brushing scam at this time, end quote. Except Heath didn't buy the explanation. He writes that brushing is usually kept very quiet and that it made no sense for hundreds of different sellers to seize on the same strategy at once. This is where things get weird or weirder. Heath found that many of the unexpected seed shipments were ordered by the people who received them again and again and again. The person who received 519 packages had, in fact, ordered at least some of them. And she was part of a Facebook gift exchange group in which people fulfilled each other's wish list items, which for her included dozens of seed packets. The full 519 orders weren't explained. Heath and a researcher put a month into trying to match up orders and people. Heath's conclusion, people ordered seeds early in the pandemic. They bought seeds from China without necessarily knowing it because sellers' countries of origin aren't necessarily listed on Amazon or many other platforms. Shipments were held up for weeks or months. They were suddenly delivered in huge numbers. And enough people had forgotten months later that they had placed these impulse orders that it became a giant oddball story. All of us have probably experienced what became known as pandemic brain. Now, here's what's even weirder. Heath notes that it could be both brushing and 
forgotten orders. Quote, it's not logically impossible for both explanations to be correct, that some packages were brushing and some were delayed orders, but it is hugely improbable. What are the odds that last summer, two completely different scenarios led to a simultaneous surge in the same weird-looking Chinese seed packages arriving in American homes? End quote. So what's your vote for the weirdest emerging story of 2021? That's going to be our unexplained clown sighting story. I say it's UFOs. Clearly UFOs. Well, excuse me, in Air Force lingo, unidentified aerial phenomena. More on UFOs, unmoored floating objects. The giant symbol of unfettered capitalism and the ruination of the planet, known as the ever-given cargo ship, riveted the world for six days in March 2021 when it was wedged nearly sidewise in the Suez Canal, a critical artery in global commerce. It was a perfect symbol. Despite the raging pandemic, consumer demand had skyrocketed because a significant portion of the developed world were making more money and having less to spend it on than before pandemic. White-collar workers in the U.S., for instance, needed to recreate an office at home, ordering monitors, noise-canceling headphones, desks. My neighborhood was covered in contractors by July 2020, when my state dropped some of its most severe work restrictions. Meanwhile, an enormous ship laden with consumer goods getting blocked in an artery like some hunk of free-floating cholesterol blocking the heart. Well, it's all just too good a metaphor. Just this week, the New York Times took us back to those heady days a few months ago to reveal some new information about the blockage of the Suez Canal and how, despite investigations, recriminations, and postmortems, nothing has really changed in the situation that led to the blockage. From the Times, quote, Under Suez Canal Authority rules, local pilots advise the ship's crew on steering and navigation, though captains retain final responsibility and can override a pilot's order. In practice, however, captains usually defer to the pilot's expertise and rarely contravene their commands. Several ship officers who have traversed the canal said in interviews end quote by the way if you'd like to see a really interesting display on local pilots and you're in astoria oregon there's an incredible maritime museum that explains both the sandbar navigation pilot and the river navigation pilot and how they work together very cool the times continues Quote, as the helmsman struggled to center the ship, the two pilots also began to argue between themselves. The person said, don't do that. The second pilot shouted at the pilot in control, according to one of the people familiar with the investigation. End quote. Then finally, quote, the ship whipsawed clockwise and counterclockwise. The faster its speed, the lower the water pressure under its hull, sinking it dangerously low in the water. It was just the right combination of factors to send the Ever Given's bow churning into the right bank of the canal. End quote. It took just 22 minutes from when the pilots boarded the ship to wedge it across the canal. Standardized containers transform the world from a chaotic, disorganized, slow, and inefficient transfer of goods just a few decades ago to something like a physical internet, though with the same potential for latency, routes to go down and require plotting new paths, and loss of packets. I didn't invent this metaphor. I first read it in a remarkable globe-spanning story researched and written by Stuart Taggart in 1999 for Wired magazine, back when periodicals were awash in cash and could pay the expenses for a multi-month worldwide trip for a massive print feature with a huge number of photos. In 1999, Taggart wrote for Wired about the scale. 
quote, and with the exception of bulk commodities like grain and oil, most sea cargo travels the world locked into standard-sized containers, commonly 8 feet wide, 8.6 feet tall, 20 or 40 feet long, and weighing up to 20 tons. In 1998, the steamy equatorial port of Singapore moved more than 15 million 20-foot equivalent units, TEUs, of such containers. That's the same as shifting around one of New York's World Trade Center towers each day. Side note, this was obviously written before 9-11. A close second to Singapore, Hong Kong moved 14.6 million TEUs. Today, enough shipping containers exist on the planet to build an 8-foot high wall around the equator twice. End quote. Taggart also wrote, quote, but bigger ships are on their way. A Maersk competitor, P&O Nedloyd, has a ship on the sea, P&O Nedloyd Rotterdam, with a capacity of 6,690 TEUs. Maersk is cagey about its plans, but few theorists see any engineering reason ships can't grow to 8,000 or 10,000 TEUs or even into the 15,000 to 25,000 TEU realm, end quote. Well, it didn't take long. In 2006, the 1,300-foot or 400-meter long Emma Maersk launched with a 14,500 TEU capability. And from the Times article this week, quote, ultra-large container vessels now stretch as long as 1,300 feet and can carry more than 20,000 containers. More than 100 such megaships now operate around the world, end quote. And just like every engineer is told to put smart technology into analog systems that were resilient when not quite as smart, so too are these cargo ships modified. From the Times, quote, as ships grew, their rudders shrank in another move towards efficiency, along with smart software-managed engines intended to save fuel and reduce emissions. Smaller rudders are more efficient on the open sea, but the combination makes for poor maneuverability at slow speeds in tight spaces, end quote. You know, like canals, where these ships are passing through all the time. One reason for inefficiency in engineering is to prevent worst-case scenarios. Engineers are encouraged to design towards middle cases now because that saves a load, but then an extreme case can erase all of those savings, not to mention the effect on human life and commerce and, and everything else. So this will likely happen again, even with Egypt dredging its canal, unless lessons are actually learned and authorities improve pilot training on large ships and grant them the leeway to halt dangerous traverses. Just like climate change is causing ever more frequent severe weather events, we'll probably see ever more frequent cargo ship blockages and disasters too, some caused by weather patterns affected by climate change. The Evergreen was finally cleared only a few weeks ago after its operator agreed to pay Egypt an undisclosed sum, those HDTVs needed to reach warehouses and customers. A follow-up on yesterday. Yes, Wally Funk made it to space just 60 years after she should have been a Mercury astronaut and returned safely. If you'd like to read an alternate history in which women did go to space back then, pick up the Mary Robinette Cowell Lady Astronaut series starting with The Calculating Stars. Also, Jeff Bezos is fine. Yesterday, a few hours before two pilots flew four passengers to the edge of space, that includes Bezos, a Dutch 18-year-old, Funk, and Bezos' brother, Mark, Jeff Bezos announced a $200 million donation to the Smithsonian covering the National Air and Space Museum and a new project. That's the largest donation to the Smithsonian Institute since its founding. $70 million will go towards renovating the National Air and Space Museum in D.C. proper, part of a $250 million private donation fundraising campaign the Smithsonian committed to that complements $650 million of federal funding. That's nearly a billion dollars. 
The renovation was initially planned years ago with a cost of something under $400 million. The federal government funds about two-thirds of the Smithsonian's operations overall, and the Institute lost about $50 million in income from visitors during just part of 2020. There's another part of the museum near the Dulles Airport west of D.C. It was funded in part by a record donation of $60 million from Stephen F. Udvar-Hazy, a prominent airplane leasing executive back in 1999. That's the equivalent of $100 million today. Not surprisingly, that facility is named the Stephen F. Udvar-Hazy Center. The other $130 million from Bezos will go to the creation of the Bezos Learning Center, a new Smithsonian building, which is the typical thing rich people do. Instead of providing funding to expand and endow existing efforts, they like to have new things with their own name or family name on it and their own ongoing operational expenses. This lets them set an agenda, at least in part. Lonnie G. Bunch, the secretary of the Smithsonian, said in a statement, quote, this historic gift will help the Smithsonian achieve its goal of, of reaching every classroom in America by creating a world-class learning center with access and inspiration at its heart, end quote. Yeah, okay, but back in 2012, David Koch of the infamous Koch brothers, who made their fortune and controlled politics through oil extraction, donated $35 million to create a new dinosaur hall at the National Museum of Natural History. Before that, he gave $15 million to what became known as the Smithsonian Museum's David H. Koch Hall of Human Origins. Of course, that hall tells a story about humans surviving climate change. As physicist Joe Rahm, an advocate for reducing climate change producing gases, as any sensible person alive today should probably be, wrote in 2015 for Think Progress, quote, the exhibit's major intellectual failing is that it does not distinguish between two things. First, the evolution of small populations of tens to perhaps hundreds of thousands of humans and pre-humans over hundreds of thousands of years to relatively slow natural climate changes. And second, the completely different challenge we have today, namely the ability of modern civilization, nearly 7 billion people going up to 10 billion, to deal with rapid human-caused climate change over a period of several decades and ultimately much longer, end quote. David Koch died in 2019. His brother Charles is still alive and still funding political endeavors and projects that promote climate change. The Koch's father was one of the founders of the John Birch Society. I look forward to the opening in a few years of the Bezos Center, which will, I guess, teach children how to obey their robot managers, urinate into glass jars to keep their productivity scores high, and engage in brutal business practices so they, too, can one day go to space on their own spaceship. At least, Jeff Bezos' father was fleeing the Cuban dictatorship when he came to America as part of Operation Pedro Pan, and he's now a billionaire. In fact, I don't think the elder Mr. Bezos and the elder Mr. Koch would have gotten along at all. Meanwhile, you can enter to win a seat on a flight to, quote, space, unquote, by NASA's definition of 50 miles above the Earth, not the internationally recognized definition. That's a bit higher, like 62 miles, which Bezos just exceeded this morning. On a Virgin Galactic craft, a company run by a rich person who hasn't ravaged the business landscape and workers' health, or at least not by as much of a factor. Richard Branson's company is putting up for charity two seats on an early flight into space. Winners receive airfare to the New Mexico spaceport, hotel accommodations, and a tour by Branson. It's a sweepstakes-based fundraiser for Space for Humanity, a nonprofit with a very particular goal. Quote, Space for Humanity is organizing the planet's first sponsored citizen astronaut program where leaders from any walk of life can apply for an opportunity to go to space and experience the overview effect, the cognitive shift in awareness that occurs when a human being looks down on the Earth from space. End quote. 
Strangely, that view isn't available from penthouses when you look down at a city or when you walk around city streets in major urban centers and can see what's going on around you. Oh well. Anyway, donations are $5 for 50 chances through $100 for 2,000 chances. The sweepstakes closes September 1st. And that is it for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I'm Glenn Fleischman. You can find me on Twitter at Glenn F, G-L-E-N-N-F, like Frank. Jackson Bird is on vacation. I hope enjoying it quite a lot. I'll be here the rest of this week, and he'll be back Monday. Ad Astra per Amazon Drone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.